Hi, I'm Lucas, and you're listening to Gradient Descent. We started this program because we're super passionate about making machine learning work in the real world by any means necessary. And one of the things that we discovered in the process of building machine learning tools is that our users and our customers, they have a lot of information in their heads that's not publicly available. And a lot of people that we talk to ask us what other people are talking about and what other people are doing, what are the best practices. And so we wanted to make all the interesting conversations that we're having and all the interesting things that we're learning um, available for everyone out there. So I hope you enjoy this. Today, our guest is Nicholas Kamchatsky, who is currently a director of AI infrastructure at NVIDIA. And before that ran Twitter Cortex and was one of the first people to put deep learning models into production at scale. So Nicholas, thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk with us. So, I mean, you're an expert on deploying deep learning in the real world. <laughs> um, yeah. And I would love to, you know, I'd love to kind of just hear how things have changed since you've been doing it. I mean, I think you started in doing this in like 2016 or, or maybe even earlier at Twitter, like, you know, kind of what were the challenges then and, and what are the challenges now that you're seeing in, in making these models actually work? Thank, thank you, Lucas. Um, I started like learning, by the way, about deep learning in 20, 2014. So I'm, I'm, I'm not one of the uh, old schoolers of deep learning, unfortunately, <laughs> but then uh, I get hooked up pretty quickly. Yeah. And um, yeah, then um, I, I started in a small startup with uh, like, you know, five people or something like that. And we were acquired by Twitter. At Twitter, we started this first deep learning team, basically. Uh-huh. And so at Twitter, we, uh, we, uh, we uh, I mean, basically Twitter didn't have any deep learning uh, knowledge back then or very little. And so we were associated with software engineers there in order to productionize deep learning on some product areas that could benefit from it. And what, were, know, the, yeah. what were the first areas where they felt like they could get a benefit? Was it vision stuff? Yeah, uh, kind of a mix, uh, mostly vision, yes, and text. Uh-huh. So we started with, with two main projects. One of them was filtering out um, kind of like bad, bad image content, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so that, that was one. And the other one that was uh, more like uh, a, good, a good product um, feature basically was um, deciding whether a user profile was safe to place ads on it or not. Mm. And this is a big deal for advertisers because they, uh, they, they wanted to make sure that they could put ads on profiles and make sure that these profiles are not like toxic or you know, insulting or, um, or like all kinds of account that you don't want to put ads uh, next to. And so we were able to classify those profiles using the text using the images, uh, use, using user features as well, uh, which allowed us to put ads on profiles. As you can imagine, this was revenue generating right. quite a bit. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so that was kind of like the, the, the beginning of, uh, of the, the, this team. Yeah. And so was this shifting from an, like an existing, like kind of more traditional model to a deep learning model or like a new, um, a new deployment of like a new problem? No, in, the, in those cases, uh, I mean, there had been interest in those uh, areas, but, uh, but uh, without deep learning, it was almost impossible to perform at the required accuracy. So I for see. example, advertisers expect like 99.9% accuracy, mm-hmm. right? It was unachievable just using tabular features and, uh, and like uh, uh, decision trees. I mean, I think it would be doable if uh, one put the effort, but much more complex. So. And I guess like these sound like applications that you could do as sort of a batch process in the background, like it doesn't need to run live on user queries or, or, or does it? That's true. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have to, you're right. Uh, except potentially for, uh, for uh, filtering of images. So when a user posts an image, make sure that uh, those images are, uh, 
kind of like hidden right away, for example, you know, uh -huh. for, for certain categories of user. One thing that required a lot of uh, real-time processing was us catching kind of like very bad images. I'm not going to go into details, but, and we wanted to really do that in real time before they hit the platform, basically. So in that case, we would have a budget of uh, like 100 milliseconds, maybe or 50, even less than that, right? To be able to, to get them. Wow, um, so this is like 2016. So I mean, how, like, how did you yeah. get that working in, in real time in production? Like what? Right, so that was, that was uh, like, yeah, <laughs> interesting. I'm sure you know the details of like, deep learning frameworks back then, back then but basically there was uh, Teano and LuaTorch. Uh -huh. And so we were Wait, using LuaTorch. Oh, no, there was no, oh and Cafe, that's true. Uh, Cafe, yeah, yeah, right, right. Forgot about Cafe. Uh, we were using Cafe, although it would, have, it would have been a pretty good solution in that case. We were using LuaTorch. Uh -huh. And so what we did, for model training, it's great. However, for deploying to production, it's uh, kind of a more difficult. So we, we, we basically took, uh, took what we had and, uh, and, and wrapped it up into uh, Scala services. Um, yeah, that was, that was so much effort, basically. So much effort to make sure it was working, stable, and so on and so forth. Wait, so now, did you actually run Torch then in production or did you like yes. compile it? Yeah, yeah, we were running Torch in production, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a lot of effort, right? So it required so much engineering. And, and you have 50 milliseconds to make a decision? That sounds like a real, a real feat. Was it, were you doing that or were you kind of handing it over to a, a different team uh -huh. to deal with? <laughs> no, no, we were, we were doing it internally, right? No, no, we, we had to because it requires a lot of, required a lot of expertise, but deep nets, right? And what could make them go faster or slower, the batch size, all those things, right? So I see. we had to do everything in-house. Um, were you like re retraining live too or how did, how did that work? So uh, we did that, but later. So that was the first part where we used deep learning only for, uh, for images and text mostly, right? Uh -huh. um, look at abusive content, for example, and so on and so forth. But then after a little while, we started looking at other problems that were more fundamentals to Twitter, like ads placement, uh -huh. timelines ranking, uh, things like that, that are more tabular based, right? So like using user features, item features, and trying to make the best prediction of whether a user is gonna engage with some content. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also managed, we, we use deep learning for that too. And we managed to get better results than traditional techniques, uh -huh. uh, basically. And so, and so the reason why I started with all of that is because in that case, for example, for ads placement, it's very important to have access to the latest and greatest features. Uh -huh. And so to do online learning, what we call online learning, which is, yeah, like learning continuously or like with very high frequency, uh, because otherwise there is a quite like quick decay of performance, right? The decay, the half-life, I don't know, uh, maybe something like uh, one, two, three minutes, right? Something like that. And then wow. the model starts to decay. Yeah. So we had to do uh, online learning uh, uh, for that, yes. Wow, so you would retrain every, every minute? So, it, uh, we, so there are multiple ways of doing it. Uh, one way to do it is just to do online learning right away. So oh. just keep training yep. uh, online. Uh, you, could, you could also like, freeze some of the layers and only retrain the last uh, logistic regression, for example. Uh -huh. So this, this is the easiest one, I think, uh -huh. uh, actually. So you can learn some kind of a, like, wide, uh, you know, I know if you're familiar with wide and deep architecture, for example. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you could, you, could, you could use the, uh, like the memoization part, right, which is usually where the decay happens and keep retraining that one, basically, and keep the other one uh, 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 constant. Or I think some companies do that. I think Google does that, for example. I'm not so sure, but they retrain regularly like every five minutes maybe. So they, have, uh, they take the existing model in prod, fine tune it, redeploy, fine tune it, redeploy. Yeah, so that's and possible. Do you ever go back and like sort of retrain it from scratch or is it always just sort of like online? Yeah, 
we do mostly if we want to add new features or radically change the model architecture. Mm. Right, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. How do you even, um, I guess, how do you even evaluate then if like a new architecture is going to be better? Like, it seems like that would be kind of tricky, right? Like, how do yeah. you? Yeah, so we have to simulate the fact that it's online learning, basically. And so in that case, we, uh, there has to be like a time period where we say, okay, we stop training and we look at everything that's after and then we, we, can, we can evaluate by keeping learning, you know? It's possible to simulate this situation, basically, right? By yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it, yeah, it's, it's more infrastructure, basically, yeah. Wow. And yeah. so, I mean, this, this must have been an incredibly high amount of compute. It's, yeah, pretty high, uh, pretty high back then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, interestingly, old CPU, though. All CPU. Uh, yeah, all CPU because because GPUs were not. Uh, I mean, I work at Nvidia now, but uh, they were not that that easy to to use in that context. Uh, oh. There was less tooling. Now it's changing with. Uh, I don't know if you heard about Rapids, for example. Uh -huh. you know? Or uh, so basically, data science accelerating on GPU. There are a lot of libraries available now, but back then there was uh, none of that. So uh, we had to just we accelerated code on CPU basically to wow. make it really really fast. Yeah. And, and were there we, other were there other pieces of infrastructure that you had to build to, to get this working in, in 2016? Oh yeah, 2016. Well, so you mean besides the inference serving actually? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for, for, we had to for the, for the training part. One of the challenges we had is that a lot of, the, uh, a lot of our customers were um, used to decision trees and certain APIs and configurations. They were not yeah. familiar with Lua Torch. Uh, few people are familiar with Lua in general. So we, we kind of had, had to hide this under like, you know, uh, configurations. So we built infrastructure to basically simplify their life such that they could copy paste configurations, right? And just specify their features basically. So it's like, okay, these are the features I have. These are the, like the, the steps I want to run, you know, like training, validation, whatever. Uh -huh. And then, uh, and then basically, uh, uh, yeah, basically like automatically save their model and so on. So we brought a lot of like automation in the training phase at the cost of flexibility at, at the beginning. Then it changed, but yeah. And how, how did it change? Like how did it evolve? So then, then uh, once the company started realizing the uh, impact and the importance of this at Twitter, um, yeah, they, 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 I mean, we like, they decided to also hire people who could understand and really invest in education. That was, that was one. And at the same time, we decided to, like as the centralized machine learning platform team, basically to move to uh, TensorFlow. Uh, why TensorFlow? Because back then PyTorch was still very uh, kind of like new and unstable, not even 1.0, I think. Uh -huh. um, and so moving to TensorFlow, which also had like an inference story, right? Which uh -huh. uh, PyTorch doesn't have and so on and so forth. That's why there are so many recommender systems using TensorFlow those days, right? Because they have like this complete story. Uh, uh -huh. Anyway, so we moved, to, we moved to TensorFlow pretty quickly after that for uh, training and inference, yeah. I see. And or so, training at least, no, not for no, Oh, not for inference. No, no, no. I mean, some part of it, just the library part, you know, just the, uh, the, uh, the uh, C++ library part. But the thing is, uh, Twitter has their own um, data formats and serialization uh, formats. So they had to play with that. So for example, Thrift instead of, uh, instead of uh, um, Proto, of, right? Of effort. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And were there any, um, I guess, are there any other sort of like surprisingly challenging things at that time like stuff that like you know maybe like academics or people that don't work in these sort of large-scale deployments wouldn't know about like any other like tricky pieces uh so so you mean from 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 twitter people yeah I mean, twitter people? yeah i think i think in some parts there was a disbelief about uh, around deep learning 
you know uh this is just i don't know if that's what you're asking exactly but uh and, and i think it, it still exists in the medical um the medical field for example where people ask for uh for uh interpretability or explainability and so on and so forth yeah uh and even at the at the, at the expense of better performance model performance but eventually that you know that disappeared basically <laughs> like, you know it's so funny in, in like 2005 i worked yeah. at yahoo moving Okay. models from like rule-based ranking systems to to boosted trees uh-huh yes and you know they had all the exact same complaints like the, you know you people go. are like oh these models are not explainable they're like impossible yes. to deploy like you know it's like making yes. like chaos yes. in our infrastructure it's like exactly the same but now they have the same complaints about moving away from decision trees so. yeah exactly well the difference for the infrastructure is that we replicated almost the same apis as what they had as what twitter had for decision tree so it was a little bit easier there was already kind of ml ready Right. Whereas right. in your case, I guess it was like completely different, right? I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, it, it sounds like you had to kind of add some weird components and sort of abstract oh, yeah. them away in the same way that. <laughs> oh yeah, just basically abstracted everything away and made it very look the same, basically, right, to right. gain a, gain adoption. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was that was fun. <laughs> yeah. So when did you um, move to Nvidia? That was like a year and a half ago, eighteen months. And so tell me yeah. about the stuff that you've been working on at Nvidia. Yeah, so it's quite different in terms of the, the application domain. Um, however, I'm, I'm basically managing the, uh, the team building the uh, platform to, so managing the team building the platform to develop uh, autonomous uh, vehicle software. Uh-huh. So, and in autonomous vehicle software, I also include like deep neural networks, uh, right? Like all the validation required for it and so on. So this is what I'm managing. And it's a pretty big endeavor. Um, the reason for that is, Autonomous vehicles are, are such large scales. There are so many models, so many people working on it. Uh, and so, I mean, there are so many specific needs that we have to build uh, relatively custom infrastructure yeah. in order to, uh, to be able to, uh, you know, to be efficient and, and good at it and, and, and competitive. And do you mean yeah. it's like custom infrastructure for, for self-driving cars or custom infrastructure for every individual um, team working on self-driving cars? It's, uh, so it's... Um, it's the nature. It's the nature of developing models and what we call perception. So the ability to understand the world, you know, from a car. So multiple models plus custom modules and so on and so forth. Developing this uh-huh. requires requires uh, a lot of customization in the cloud infrastructure. Basically, is what is what I'm saying. So, as an example, uh, you know, all machine learning teams use uh, some workflow system in order to say, hey, I want to do this task and then do this task and then another task, right, and so on and so forth. In the case of uh, in the case of autonomous vehicles, the big difficulty is that um, some you know they are gonna, like this, the, the the various steps are going to be in so many different languages, uh, so many different libraries. So one is going to be like data preparation using Spark. One is going to be like oh now I want to run the actual software from the car on the target hardware, uh, right? Which is the actual embedded hardware that's racked in the cloud. Uh, but I want to run it on this uh, using using CUDA, and then I want to run a Golang container. So all of these things are so different that they require a workflow system that's agnostic to all of this mm-hmm. and that can be deployed uh, on heter- heterogeneous hardware. I mean, bypassing the details, but basically, in some aspects, we had to develop our own uh, customized uh, infrastructure. Yeah. Got it. And so, like, what <clears throat> I guess you were sort of starting to talk about this, but what are like sort of the big yeah. components of the infrastructure that you build and what are the, like, the big, yeah. big problems that each component solves? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, at the at the top level, so where we interact with our users, we uh-huh. really provide tools and SDKs and libraries 
Um, so that's the top level. At the bottom level, we have really core component that enable this top level. So at the top level, what we do is we go from everything outside the car. So when people drive, you know, like drivers basically collect data or test um, a new build of the software system. Then they take out the, uh, the data or send it over the Wi-Fi. Then it gets into the system. It needs to be ingested. So that's the first step, ingestion. Ingestion is already pretty complicated because it's similar to like um, Yahoo or Twitter where you need to, uh, you know, write heavy and then have some way to like process the data mm -hmm. uh, once in a while to transform it into data sets that are more consumable by yeah. those users. We have to do that. The challenges are pretty massive because we need to test for data quality, for example, or uh -huh. we need to index the data. We need to process raw data to transform it into something that's easier to consume downstream as well and so on and so forth. So that's the first step. Second <clears> step is to uh, uh, build the best data sets. And that's actually a big challenge. Uh, the way we approach it is that, I mean, I'm sure you, you're familiar with that, but uh, we, we, we view like machine learning as, uh, you know, like software 2.0, like as, as, as Carpathy, like kind of laid it out. I don't know if it was the first, but where yep. data is the source code of yep. uh, machine learning. And so we need to be very careful about how we write our source code. Uh, and in order to do that, we, uh, de we're developing tools to curate data sets. So like create data sets, select the right frames, the right videos, uh, with the right filters, make sure there's no overlap between training and validation. So we have a lot of tooling for that. And so these are tools, they don't actually do this. They like help a, a user pick this or do they, they somehow they, automatically like pick the- Well, that's, yeah, so both actually. Um, we also also investing a lot in active learning. Since you uh -huh. were at Figure 8, I'm sure you have a lot of uh, experience there. Sure, yeah, but I'm, I'm always fascinated by how other people yeah. do it too. <laughs> we published a blog post recently exactly about that basically where active, uh, I mean, autonomous vehicles is perfect and lends itself perfectly to active learning. Uh -huh. Massive amounts of data, but very costly human labeling, right? right <laughs> so yeah, if you want to do 3D cuboid uh, labeling, it's so costly. However, yeah. there are like, you know, thousands and thousands of hours of data of driving available. And so we really have to select the one that's going to be the most efficient and uh -huh. that's going to find the pattern that the, that the DNN uh, deep neural network is not able to find. Uh -huh. And in order to do that, we use active learning and active learning basically gives us like uncertainty scores, right? And uh -huh. uh, the frames or videos with the highest uncertainty are basically the ones that we're going to want to label in order to improve the performance. And so we tried it and we get like a 3x higher improvement, 3 to 5x actually, higher improvements using active learning sample data versus manually curated, not even random, manually. So like by humans, uh, because- so you see like humans like guessing what data is gonna be the best? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So they're like, the, the challenge was that, uh, let's find v VRUs, vulnerable road users at night, uh -huh. at night time. And so uh -huh. it's a super challenging problem because of course for cars, it's difficult to, to view at night, right? With the camera and so on. Yep. And uh, in, the, in general, like, pedestrians and bicycles basically these are the two categories are also difficult to detect anyway so we we so the, the idea was to detect these ones the uh, at best so first first pool was like manual curation uh, a group of people were told look through the videos and find you know find images that are relevant for these classes uh -huh. and the other group was like just uh, using the models for these specific classes find the frames that are that, that have the highest uncertainty for these two classes right so one was completely automated and uh, we were able to find the frames uh -huh. that were very, very uncertain, basically for pedestrian and bicycles, right? Which shows maybe 20,000 of them. Then the manual curation did the same, 20,000. What they did usually is that they, they, they swipe through videos and when they find pedestrians or bicycles at night, 
they just stop and they select like you know a few frames in that segment of video. Uh -huh. And then we we train model with these two uh, sub data sets. We looked at the validation performance, and validation performance was three times higher. I mean, the increase in was three times higher for active learning selected data. Yeah, so it does work, and it can be completely automated if you think of it, right? Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's in your blog post. We should definitely get a link to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I can, I can share that with you. I mean, we, we, we were impressed too, basically, because it was just an experiment, you know, a research experiment. And now we're working to automate that and to be able to even uh, automatically select data, retrain models and improve performance. And we could have a machine fabricating DNA, right? Basically, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with human in the loop, uh, just for the human annotations. So. That's okay, what, what else? Sorry, I, I think so I derailed you. So there's data collection. <laughs> so what, yeah, then there's uh, labeling, which uh -huh. I'm sure you're very familiar with because yeah, yeah. you're working at, I figure it, but yeah. uh, for autonomous vehicles, there are some uh, pretty massive challenges. So first, the scale. The scale uh -huh. is massive, right? So uh, yeah. NVIDIA has uh, uh, a thousand plus labelers uh, wow. in India. Yeah, we're doing it ourselves. Uh -huh. The software to actually be able to dispatch uh, requests, right, to these labelers and, and manage it. Uh, as, as, as you probably know, it's quite complex because it has to deal with human, um, human workflows, right? And the yeah. way they behave. So when they refuse, when they make mistakes and so on and so forth, uh, integrate quality assessment in the loop and so on and so forth. So that's one, but also the tools themselves, the UI tools are pretty tricky. So for example, we need sometimes to be able to draw uh, like for example, 3D cuboids uh, and make sure we can link LiDAR data with uh, image data, right? So yeah. we need to have a mix of like human labeling and uh, uh, like automated computing to be able to uh, like, you know, link these two things, for example, or like build a new representation of the data that is then usable by, uh, by those humans. Mm -hmm. And I think the two at, at the same time is pretty complex and, uh, and difficult to do. So, yeah, so we, uh, we, we, we built all that. So that's, that's step number three, basically, uh, okay. labeling the data. Um, then step number four is about training. So we've developed a lot of code to, to enable our, our AV developers to train their models. Uh -huh. One of the biggest challenges we have is that once we train, we need to export this, uh, we need to do inference on embed, an embedded system. Uh -huh. And so we are uh, uh, compute constrained in a way. I mean, this is one of the constraints. We cannot deploy like a thousand servers to be able to crush everything. We need to <laughs> use a single chip to compute everything. So in order to, 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 to make that you know, right, we've, uh, we, we, we use multitask training, for example, where we have one single model body where, that can predict multiple things, like things like uh, path detection or obstacle detection or light sign, uh, you know, um, uh, intersection, so on, so on and so forth, uh -huh. right? Um, I think uh, this is similar to what Tesla's doing. I don't know, they, they, they've, they've written a blog, uh, like they've done a talk recently talking about that. Uh -huh. There's that, and then there's a lot of optimization such as pruning the models or uh, int 8 quantization or uh -huh. um, a neural architecture search that we can use in order to even further reduce the size of the, the size of the model with equal performance. And so your, your tools do, do all of this? Like, is there stuff left for like a perception team at a customer to do? Or like, how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, we, we, we provide this as part of the, as part of the, the core libraries. But uh -huh. of course, sometimes they need to do something new. When they need to do that, they can, you know, add their own algorithm and so on and so forth. And then we, we basically productionize it, platformize it. Also, you know, what they're really focused on, on the perception side, is not really those features. It's more like, I mean, they're looking into it. That's very important. But also looking a lot into um, new types of predictions, for example. Mm -hmm. So they were predicting bicycles. Now they want to predict uh, more fine-grained things, right? So they're going to have classes. 
Yeah. That's, you know, they do a lot of those things basically uh, that we don't have to care about. We just provide the core infrastructure. Yeah. So you, you provide kind of core infrastructure to do multitask learning and quantization yes. and like that, but then the, the customer would sort of provide the different types of like classifications that they would want. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But of course, like there's a small overlap between the two and we help each other. Yeah. Do you handle things like, um, like some of the newer stuff, like trying to figure out like intentions or um, like trying to actually like map out the, the sort of like underlying dynamics of like a person, like where their arms are and, and head is and stuff like that. Is that within your scope or? Yeah, I mean, uh, not, not my team specifically, but the perception team is definitely looking into things like that. Um, yes, that's uh, usually more on the research side, a little bit more advanced, uh -huh. but uh, yes, definitely, yes. Okay, and, and do, uh, is this, so do, does this work with different um, ML frameworks or how does it, is it like a lower level than that or how does that work? Yeah, no, no, we, uh, we do work with uh, ML frameworks uh, just because they provide so much value. <laughs> sure. so, so yeah, for, for training specifically. So we uh -huh. use uh, TensorFlow uh, a lot, PyTorch a little bit too. Um, I think it's uh, mostly historical. And then for deployment though, for deployment, we use TensorRT, which uh -huh. is NVIDIA's deep learning inference library. Uh, and what's great is that it's really optimized for NVIDIA hardware, of course. Uh -huh. um, there's a lot of like, it's also optimized for inference. So uh -huh. you can do some optimization of the graph, for example. Um, and yeah, we deploy using TensorRT. So yeah, uh, and, and, and we get pretty big performance gains with that. Cool. Wait, yeah. so, so is that the whole thing? So you sort of have data collection? No, that's not all. Oh, that's not so all? Wow, amazing. Training, all right, what else, what else do you have? <laughs> no, there's uh, evaluation. So the validation of the model. So let's say you train one model that's doing uh -huh. obstacle detection. Yeah. What you really want is like uh, understand if the modification of that model, for example, is how is that going to impact the overall system? Uh -huh. um, that's a very tricky system that requires a pretty fine grain um, understanding of, of, of the impact. And so let's say we have this perception system that's a mix of kind of like post-processing, Kalman filters, uh, neural networks, and so on and so forth. They're all mixed in pretty complex ways. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is like have multiple levels of KPIs and, and, and a pretty large breadth of KPI to understand what's happening in the system. Mm -hmm. That's the step number one. So for example, like false positive, false negative, sure, right? But yeah. then we the next level, which is at the perception API level, so like higher level, you know? Yeah. How many mistakes do I make per hour? for example, uh -huh. right, of detection of a car. Um, and then uh, I also want to understand even further than that, how do I drive the car? So which involves simulation in that case. So we want to be able to run simulation jobs with this new perception system to understand like how the system behaves now with uh -huh. the same simulation. So we want to do all of this. So we have a system to basically evaluate all of these things at scale um, together, which, uh -huh. is, which is on the same infrastructure. So like same data structures, you know, same dashboards, uh, same kind of output data, same uh, analytics library, and so on and so forth. And the output of this is like all these KPIs plus what we call events. The first positive is an event, for example. Uh -huh. We can define an event as anything. Once we have all of this, then the, the, the AV developers can look at all this information. And this is, this is the next step. This is what we call debugging, basically, which is also like software 2.0. Uh -huh. uh, based right debugging the output of a predictor yep. so we look at the output of the predictor and we can look at the kpis look at the event cluster the events and then zoom in onto all the, uh, all of these events and like very fine grain look at them and the prediction versus the ground truth for example or like uh -huh. 
you know, uh, see if there's something missing when there is a lens flare. So we can go very deep and then come back high and then make a diagnosis about what's going wrong about the system. Uh, and this diagnosis is the kind of like how we improve the system. Uh -huh. This diagnosis tells us like, I need more data on uh, J Japan at night, for example. Uh -huh. And then we can go back to the curation step, which is building better data sets. Uh -huh. So yeah, this is kind of like the, uh, then we, the feedback loop that goes from debugging to this curation step uh, that, uh, that helps us improve our perception system uh, over time. Gotcha. And so you, you basically can, you, your user could like automatically request, like, you know, give me more like, you know, like bicyclists in the snow or something. And then yeah. like the curation step, go out and, and look for more of that or, or like weight that more or something. Yeah, exa exactly. I mean, based on, uh, based on what the curation can do, which could be geographical conditions or maybe temperature, if we have access to that, um, yeah. to that type of sensor, but, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, how do you, I'm, I'm just trying to think like putting myself in your shoes, like how do you approach like um, making such a sophisticated system on behalf of customers? Like, do you like build your own uh, perception systems just to, to try your own software? How, how do you think about that? But at the bottom of this uh, like end-to-end -end workflow, uh -huh. we have core components basically, which is our data platform uh -huh. and our workflow management system. And those two things are powering everything, right? To be able to write ETLs, um, be able to be able to register data sets, for example, uh, be able to uh, perform queries of our data and make sure that all of these things are traceable end to end, which is a major requirement for the autonomous vehicles industry. So that we can then, you know, if there's a problem in the future, we can go back in time and understand everything that happened. So anyway, all those things at the bottom are powering the, the, the top layer and are pretty, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty beefy and made for scale. And so, sorry, the first thing is data storage. Did I, did I have that right? Yeah. Oh, it's data platform. Data platform and then a workflow management system. And then workflow management system, yeah. Gotcha. And so the data, what is it? So the data platform is just, is like keeping track of where all the data is or what, what, what does that it's, do? No, it's a bit more than that. So basically it's all the, all the infrastructure required in order to um, store structured data, structured and unstructured data. Uh-huh. Right. So structured data could be anything like, um, I don't know, like simple floating points, continuous values, and raw data is like all the sensor recordings in general. Right. Uh, so we have all of this and we can organize it. And the second step is we want to be able to query all oh. of this at scale. I see. And so basically we, you know, we use Hive, we use Presto, we use Spark SQL and Spark in general to enable oh. us to do, to do all of this. And so this is what the data platform provides, all those pieces. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then the workflow management is more around um, like the ability to, 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 to schedule like those complex compute and data access tasks, right? Uh -huh. And stitch them together. Yeah. Uh, and so basically we, we know we can organize uh, data in a certain way. We, we know we can access a cluster, but then we want to make sure that, uh, yeah, like I explained earlier, we can uh, uh, perform those graph of tasks. And sometimes we require a lot of scale when uh -huh. we do evaluation at scale, for example, on like thousands of hours of data. And uh -huh. so we need a workflow system that enables us to, uh, to do all of this. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So I guess like one thing I didn't hear you say that I think a lot of people talk about is sort of um, synthetic data. Like, is that, is that interesting yeah. to you? How do you think? Yeah, about no, it, it is for uh, so synthetic. We have, we have a simulation, uh, basically a simulation team. I think I mentioned it for uh, testing purposes. Right, right, for testing. I wasn't sure if that yeah. was like totally synthetic simulations or, or what. And, yeah, entire, well, I mean, we we can do both for open loop, which is no control and planning in the loop. 
uh-huh. like no actual driving, yeah. um, we can replay existing data. Uh-huh. So that's, that's really good because then we can measure on real data. But for uh, data like closed loop, which is really driving in a world, we need real simulated data. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is where NVIDIA kind of shines because we can, of course, generate like simulated world, like in video games. Yeah. Uh, and so even more than that, we have the ability to generate all kinds of sensor data for the car. So uh-huh. not just, uh, not like also, you know, LiDAR data, uh, uh-huh. radar data, but also like CAN, IMU, uh, all those things that are uh, car specific. We can generate all of this and we have a special box that we call Constellation, which uh-huh. has this generator, like simulation generator on one uh-huh. side and what we call the ECU, like the embedded system on the other side that can process all those sensor inputs in the same box. So basically do the exact, exact simulation, right? exact processing of the simulated data. So uh, we can do all of this and we can use it for testing and we can also use it for, of course, collecting data and, and, and training on data that just doesn't exist in the real world, for example, yeah. So very helpful for bootstrapping uh, perception efforts, for example, bootstrapping uh-huh. new neural networks, right? And so I guess, um, right, 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 right. I mean, wh- where do you plan to, um, I mean, it sounds like you have like almost a complete like end-to-end um, solution for, for people. Like, like, could I yeah. come to you and, and, and like, with a car and some sensors and, and like get a system that could make an autonomous vehicle for me? Yeah, that's, that's exactly, yeah, yes, you can. Except that uh, we need, I mean, it's difficult, it's difficult to change sensors, as you can imagine, because sure, if suddenly yeah. we use a different sensor, we're gonna have to um, uh, recollect data to revalidate and retrain models or fine tune them and so on and so forth. But assuming they are like similar to what we have or, or that you're willing to pay enough <laughs> money, uh, we can redo that work entirely, yes. So I guess you're like the perfect person to ask, like, what, what do you think is like left to do to me? I mean, I don't actually see, I, I live in San Francisco, so I do see autonomous vehicles driving right. around a fair amount. <laughs> um, but like, what, what pieces do you think are left to, to really work on to make it like a real thing that, um, that I would use every day? So you don't use it every day is what you're saying? Well, I, I actually rarely go in an autonomous vehicle okay. and I feel like I'm in the industry. So. <laughs> oh, I see. Do you, do you, I mean, do you have a Tesla, like Model 3 or any? No, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've played with them. Um, and right. I, I think they're like very, very impressive. So I guess maybe yeah. that's a good point you're making that, but, but like, what about, um, I guess like, I guess like, what do you think is, is, is the next steps with, with systems oh. like yours? Like, what are you thinking of, of focusing on? Honestly, I think, so first, I think this is going to be pervasive. And I think uh, in, in, the, in the future, everyone's going to have like autonomous vehicle functionality. Uh-huh. That's number one. Yeah. But I think the vision goes even further than that, is that, um, is that cars are going to become software defined or are in, on the way to becoming software defined. Uh-huh. And, that, and that's, you know, like basically people are going to see a centralized computer with a really nice UI, UX, right? And they're going to be able to buy new software potentially to upgrade their cars. Uh-huh. And this is already what's happening with Tesla a little bit. Yeah, and, totally. And, and it, yeah, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why their, their capitalization is so high, their valuation is so high. Yeah. But uh, the other car makers are also looking into that that model, you know, and, and like interested in it. And I think this is the future of the industry. So for us, uh-huh. I think this is also the future. I need to be ready for this world at NVIDIA. So that means having like a programmable platform an open platform, right? Because we want to enable all those car makers or tier one to build those, co- those, those systems together on the same chip. 
on the centralized computer. We don't want to exclude them basically from our chip, right? We want to enable people to write software on our chip, infotainment oh, right. software, self-driving software, and so on and so forth, right? Uh -huh. And and now self-driving is so difficult that we can provide it for them, uh -huh. you know, as a given application uh, for uh, for uh, big car makers or even smaller, uh, and 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 just uh, and just uh, yeah, like develop it as an application for them. But and then where where are we going with that? I think is uh, is a matter of like performance and and imp improving the control planning and the entire perception system. I think we're still like at the beginning of it. Uh -huh. We're going to be able to do better and better and better over time by building a lot of automation first, uh -huh. uh, by potentially adding machine learning in areas that don't have machine learning yet, such as predicting uh, the, the, the planning path, for example, right? Uh -huh. Doing things like that. Um, yeah, and yeah, anyway, yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess what I'm hearing is like, you think that um, there's sort of like iterative improvement in a bunch of different things and then applying machine learning to planning is like the big, th like just sort of the next steps in making these systems um, you know, work better. I'm, I'm curious, like what, like, what do you think yeah. is the, like the stuff yeah. that people are working, really like wrestling with right now to make these oh, I see. things really work? I think the big, the hardest uh, thing is urban areas right now. So like being able to drive in urban areas, uh -huh. like in New York City, for example, it's really, really hard. Uh, and that's, that's the next frontier. It requires all sorts of new signals coming from the car. Um, you know, uh, like for example, like intersections, lights, uh, lack, lack of lanes, right? Uh, things like that, that can be very tricky or like unknown kind of like vehicles such as garbage collection, uh -huh. stuff like that, right? So all of this is uh, still a little bit newer and the older, older like self-driving providers started with easier uh -huh. uh, areas such as highways, except right. for some of the level five, like Lyft, you know, or Uber, or like the ones that are trying to, already leapfrogged that, that's, that's a big challenge, basically. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the next frontier, I think. Do you feel like um, your approach at NVIDIA is significantly different from like Tesla or Lyft? Or, or I mean, uh, how do you think about that? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, all, all, all these companies, they, they, they are targeting different things. Uh, mm -hmm. So as a result, there are some differences. So sure. Lyft is targeting level five. They want to have fully autonomous vehicles. Tesla is building cars, so they don't, they, don't, they don't need to build a platform that's usable by other people, for example, uh -huh. right? Uh, on, on our side, we build a platform and we, are, we, are, we, we make money with our hardware. We can uh -huh. also make money with our software, but our software has to be like usable by everyone else. So we have to make it in a way that, that, that is such, right? So this is one of the constraints we have. As a result, for example, the platform we are building, like the car infrastructure, is designed in a way that can be ported in other, uh, like to car makers, for example, or, or any, right? Like people developing self-driving. Do you think your platform, <clears throat> I mean, it's interesting because the, the, all the, the pieces that you mentioned of your platform, I think like it's super relevant to like healthcare applications yeah. or almost like any kind of deep learning application. Like, you know, how do you think about, would you ever expand your platform to other applications or? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's, that's possible. Uh, some of these pieces are not required per se. And sometimes the scale uh, we, we aim for is not required as well uh -huh. for, uh, for healthcare, for example. Yep. Um, and however, yeah, usually what we try to do is what we built is more like a superset of, uh, of those tools and push the, uh, the frontier a little bit further. Uh, now, some things are a little bit tied to autonomous vehicles, mm -hmm. uh, but the entire end-to-end -end workflow though seems very applicable, you're right. The tools themselves that we built, sometimes were customized to the data we have. 
So yes, we could extend them. It would just require some work, basically. Yeah. I see. I'm curious, this is a kind of a specific question, but you know, I've been thinking about this lately. Like, how important do you think um, is the the sort of hyperparameter search piece? Like do you, like the neural architecture mm -hmm. search you're talking about? Like is that is that really essential or is that like a nice That's to a have? Question. Like how so uh, uh, neural architecture search is, uh, is well, it's still, it's still like uh, something we're exploring. I think it can be important because we can really reduce the, uh, the compute footprint uh -huh. for us. So I think it can work. So for example, we can constrain the search space of our neural architecture search to um, something that's going to perform really well on target hardware in terms of latency. Right. right. Because NVIDIA has like some hardware accelerators that are specific. And so we can make sure that we target this and find the architecture and so on and so forth. However, hyperparameter search is uh, something that we have available, but the, the, the kind of like the advantage of using that versus the compute it requires is often like not super uh, interesting for, uh, right, for, uh, for, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, for, for developers. So we do it sometimes, but it's not really like a big, a big advantage or a big competitive advantage, I would say, for us. I see. Yeah. yeah. Is there, actually, is there a piece of your, I mean, your platform sounds amazing and it solves like, you know, a whole slew of problems. Is there like a piece of it that you're like especially proud of that you think is like really, like, like really stands out to you as, as like best in class or? Um, I really like the active learning part. Um, and, in, and everything that goes around that because uh -huh. so one, one other thing we are doing is what we call targeted learning which is the ability to take uh, perception bugs so like oh I'm not able to detect um, you know like trucks in that position whatever and then use that and sample a data set that then is going to be used for training and fix the perception bug uh -huh. right so and, and doing that is similar to active learning, but like conditioned, like conditional active learning. Uh -huh. um, so I'm really proud of these two things because I, I, I really love the, the automation of it all, right? Like it, we, we, could, we could just go on vacation and be like, okay, now let's just <laughs> the, the system work. We have like, you know, customers sending their bugs and automatically we just fix them, you know? Cool. Well, uh, this is this is so fascinating. Actually, you know, even if we weren't recording this for something, I think I would have really enjoyed yeah. <laughs> this conversation. No, no, no. Thanks. I mean, uh, I love talking about it. Exactly. So. Yeah, cool. it's great to meet you, and um, thanks so much for doing this with us. Cool. Well, thanks a lot. All right, that was such a great conversation. Thank you, Lucas and Nicholas. I'm going to add a link to Nicholas's Twitter in the show notes below, and I would highly recommend that you guys check him out. Also. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we do have a very active Slack community with over a thousand machine learning engineers, and I would love to see you guys on there. Finally, before we go, I would love to talk to you guys about something that I'm super excited about. So lately, we've been working with a lot of self-driving car companies at Weights and Biases, and that means that we've been building native support specifically for uh, self-driving machine learning models. So now, with just a few lines of code, you can do object detection with 2D and 3D bounding boxes within weights and biases. You can also do semantic segmentation so you can compare your model's predictions with the true labels inside your data set. And finally, my favorite, you can now log point clouds within weights and biases. 
So that means you can now use point clouds to understand your scene with custom annotation layers. You might use this with something like uh, a data set of LiDAR points. So for example, Lyft put out uh, a self-driving car data set composed of LiDAR points, and you could plop that into weights and biases and draw nice little 3D bounding boxes around your cars, people, and other objects within your, uh, within your scene. It's a great time. I'm gonna leave some links in the show notes below so you can try out point cloud semantic segmentation and also object detection. It's a really fun time, whether you're working on self-driving professionally or just for fun. I would love for you guys to try it and tell us what you think. Finally, uh, you can also use weights and biases to run sweeps uh, to tune your hyperparameters in a very organized way. This means that you can just give us a list of hyperparameters that you would like to search through and also a search strategy. And then we will go through and um, train all these different models and find you the best one in a very organized way, which is very low effort on your part. I'll also leave some links down below for you to try out our sweeps. That's all for today. We'll see you in the next episode. Have a nice day.